Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to OCC. My name is Josh. Today we're going to finish up this series uh, on family life, which is more or less ideal. <laughs> you can always grow in family life. We're trying to do the best we can in family life to grow. And today we're going to wrap up by digging into God's perspective on trouble. And when it comes to trouble, you, you experience a lot of trouble in, in life. And family plays a key role in learning in, in teaching us how to how to interact with the area of trouble. In our culture, though, we find there are all sorts of views on trouble. There's approaches and, and ideas that are floating around, real popular ones. And so I want to sort of contrast some of our cultural ideas of how do you face trouble? What should you do with trouble? So here's, here's one. Here's a picture. This is one view of, of, of trouble. It's an extremely overprotective, this is a label for an extremely overprotective approach, helicopter parenting, kind of the idea of hovering over your children's lives and experiences and problems, not just when they're little, <laughs> no, when they're in their 20s, when they're in their 30s, kind of still hovering over them and making sure uh, that, that you know what's going on, parents, in their lives, and they know what you think. <laughs> Uh, in the life of, of college students, this is when parents might call the professors uh, when, they, when their, their children get poor grades. Well, who should be calling the professor? <laughs> Some of you are professors. You've talked to parents of students, and you're like thinking, why are they calling me? <laughs> parents arranging class schedules still for their kids in their early 20s. Parents still trying to manage their, their adult children's eating and, and exercise plans. That's helicopter parenting. Critics say that it, it is this approach is poorly preparing children for the real world. Now, here's another approach. Move over, helicopter parents. Make way for the lawnmower parents. The lawnmower parents. Another, this is a newer term that's come up. Okay? I think 2018 is when this started being used. Instead of preparing children for challenges... Lawnmower parents are trying to mow obstacle down, obstacles down so that their children won't experience obstacles at all. Just like anticipate all problems and just mow them down to, you know, to prevent their kids from experiencing harm, difficulty. So that's another one. Now here's a, here's a popular message about trouble. Okay? Who's familiar with this song? Stronger, okay? I, I wish I had got the audio because it's quite invigorating for a morning, you know? It's good. It seems like good exercise video, you know, music. But so here's the lyrics. I'm just going to tell them. I don't have them up on the screen. But it's sort of like, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's the theme in this. What doesn't kill you makes you stand a little taller. Uh, what doesn't kill you makes you a fighter. Your footsteps even lighter. And there's like the fist pump in this song quite a bit. Doesn't mean I'm over because... Because you're gone. Now, this is obviously like a heartbreak song, okay? It's a heartbreak song, and so she's singing about she's stronger through this breakup. Now, what doesn't kill you, she says, makes you stronger. Stronger, stronger, something like that. And then it goes, then it goes, stronger, stronger, just me, myself, and what? And I. Yeah, some of you are like, and I, you know. It's, it's quite empowering, it's, it's sort of an empowering song, but 
I'm not sure that it's true. It sounds really good. I mean, it's a good, it'll get you, you moving. But that's not always the case with trouble, if you really think about this song. I work with a lot of people in, in my ministry profession, and you do too. You work with people. You interact with people. And some people, they hit trouble, and they slip into a deep hole of depression. They hit points of hopelessness. They hit points of isolation. And sure, it didn't kill them, but it, they're not stronger. So, she's saying about this empowering idea, but this line actually came from, from the German philosopher Nietzsche. He's actually the one that said that which does not kill us makes us stronger. She just sort of popularized this, repopularized this idea. Now, honestly, it's not true. Most people would not agree that th- with this statement. Things that nearly kill us do not automatically grow us. Oftentimes they make us weaker. Oftentimes they make us bitter. They, they can make us crippled and lonely. In fact, some of, some of us know people who've never recovered from trouble. In fact, you might be stuck right now and just sort of frozen. And let's be real. I mean, how, how, could, how could they recover? You know people in your life who have experienced such deep loss and tragic pain and unexpected um, adversities. And it's like, how how could they just become stronger through that? How do you get through that? I I had a friend who was murdered, I think it was probably eight, eight years ago. And everyone close to her, her family, needed help processing the pain. You don't just go through something like that and, and grow stronger. And so here's, here's a point I want to make. This is, by the way, there's a listening guide. We'll get to it eventually, 15 minutes from now maybe. <laughs> but here's a statement for, for us. Learning how to respond to trouble in life is critical. This is really critical. If you're going to grow stronger, there's a step between the pain and the growth. There's several steps, actually. It's not automatic. And so I want to really challenge that statement that Nietzsche made and Kelly Clarkston is singing about. If we don't learn how to respond to trouble, then what happens is we just limp through life. We, we limp. And we're supposed to learn how to respond to trouble in family life. Families, by God's design, were to prepare us to, to, and equip us to respond to failure to prepare us for the storms, to prepare us for the trouble. This is actually the part of what God intends for our families. For you moms and dads, some of you are moms and dads, so talking to you for a moment. This is really your job. At least it's a big part of your job. You've got the responsibility in life to teach your kids to do this. You've got to teach your kids to read the pitches in life. There's all sorts of things coming at your family and your children, and your kids need to know how to read Everything that's coming at them. We need to see what's coming. Kids need to see this. Adults need to see this. Because just like how in, in baseball there's, there's fastballs and there's sliders and curveballs and there's knuckleballs. And you're, you're trying, as a, as a batter in baseball, you're trying to read what's happening. You're trying to watch the movement of the ball. You're trying to watch what's happening with the ball as it's coming, which, which direction it's spinning. And you're, you're trying to read that pitch so you know what to do. And in life, trouble's coming at us in all sorts of forms, and from a variety of possible sources. And we need to know how to read that. Is this going to hit me? Is this going to hurt me? Is this, is this good for me? Is this 
Should I hold back? Should I swing away? What, what, what should I do? And all sorts of scenarios hit us. And so what we need is we need to know how to read situations and then respond to them. Sickness. Some of you are students. And you're away from home. And parents are far. They used to be able to tell you what to do when you were sick. But maybe you're at college and now you've, you've hit some things where you don't know how to get over it. And, and it's not an over-the-counter medication isn't fixing the problem. And you're trying to read, what's going on here? What, what should I do here? Or a breakup happens. You're dating someone and, and it just hurts and, and, and you need to know how to respond. Or you fill a class and you're afraid to tell parents. And they're hovering overhead and they're, hey, how's it going? What do you do with that? Or you're rejected from a program. You thought you'd, you'd get, you know, be able to advance in your education, be admitted, and you're not getting into the program you desired. Where do you learn how to respond and read? Well, our homes are actually where we can teach, model, and coach in how to deal with the problems or the pains of life. Otherwise, it's just pretty unbearable for people. And sometimes what happens is we, we don't learn this at home. And so here at our church, here at OCC, we want this to be a community where people as adults now would, would be trained by God's way to learn how to read trouble, read situations, and then respond. Because here's the reality. Trouble is a normal part of life. There's no dodging trouble. There's no escaping it. Now, one man, he shared this statement with his friend who was going through devastation. The man's name was Job, and his friend comes to to sit with him in the dirt as his life had literally fallen apart. And, And Job is sore and aching and emotionally in pain, and his friend sits beside him. And he says some things that are helpful, and he says some other things that aren't very helpful. Here's something that is true that he does say. Yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. This is a really true statement. When you fuel a fire with more wood, sparks start flying, right? They're constantly flying. That's just not, oh, look what's happening. No, it's, it's you expect sparks to fly out of a fire. Well, in life, you need to expect trouble is coming. You need to expect it. Everybody pretty much knows that trouble is certain to strike in life in some form. This is reality. There are physical problems. There are relational problems. There are natural disasters. Now, a big question for us is why? And oftentimes we get stuck. Why is this happening? Did you know that trouble is not what God wanted? It's not what God wanted from the beginning. God made the earth, and it was perfect. It was, in the beginning, trouble was not a part of God's creation. We began this series looking at Genesis 1 and 2. Here's, a, here's an artist's depiction of, of Genesis 1 and 2. God makes this perfect place, this garden, and he puts the first man, the first woman there. And at this point, all is very good. He declares, God says, everything was good. He makes Adam and Eve, and things are very good in what he's made, and God rests from creating. There's no trouble at this point. There's no pain in the world. There's no sin in the world at this point. It's perfect. The trouble, the pain... And the problems that we face in this world are really the consequences of rebellion against God, starting with them. But running all the way down to you and to me, we've all rebelled against God. God told the first family in the garden, he told them this truth. He said, if you rebel, you will die. 
If you rebel, you'll die. He said to them, if you trust me, God said, if you love me and trust me, you'll live. And then Satan, the deceiver, he told the first family a a lie. And he said to them, if you rebel, you'll live. Do what you want. And if you obey and trust God, you'll be a slave, is what Satan said to them. Well, they bought the lie. We've bought the lie. And ever since, we've been suffering the consequences of our betrayal. And so this is actually what looks familiar for us when it comes to life on planet Earth. Doesn't it look familiar? I mean, this picture? We've only ever known this. The other picture is sort of like Disneyland. It's sort of like a fairy tale. You walk in, you sort of take a break from real life for a while at Disneyland. That other picture, Genesis 1 and 2, you're like, eh, I've never experienced that before. But despite our betrayal, God, he has been faithful. He's never stopped loving us, and he actually has a solution to all of our suffering. And so what God did is this. God sent his son Jesus to carry out a rescue plan. He suffered death in our place. He did this to taste our troubles so that we could be spared. And God in the flesh, Jesus, became very, very, very familiar with suffering and pain and trouble. And he did all this so that we could be familiar with joy with peace, with hope. Listen to what one of the prophets said. The prophet Isaiah said this about Jesus' experience. Many years before his coming, this is a, a prophecy about a suffering Messiah, the servant that would come. Just, as, just a, one excerpt out of Isaiah 53, verse 3 through 5. It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely, He took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. You know, the picture here is this. Someone will come that will bear our pain and suffering. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. The punishment that brought us peace with God was upon him. He took all of our suffering. He bore all of our, all of the penalty of our sin, of my and your rebellion, of everything that humanity has ever done. He took that and he bore that in his flesh. Because our King Jesus loved us and suffered in this way, what's happened is our sin closed us off from God. It separated us from God. But Jesus' suffering in our place opened the door for us to really come home and to be a part of God's family again. The access point to be a child of God, a son, a daughter of God is Jesus. It's receiving Jesus. It's yielding your life to him as Lord. It's, it's basically saying, God, I didn't deserve. I deserved the punishment for my sin. And thank you, Jesus, for taking it in my place. And I received that, not so I can live for myself, but I received that so I now live for you. And Jesus' death and and his resurrection creates an an opportunity for a new life. So we find ourselves sort of at a crossroad of what am I going to live for? What we do on Sundays, we gather together as a church to really thank God for his grace. And this gathering is, is just, it's an hour of our week where we celebrate God's grace towards us. And we celebrate the one who rose from death 
on the third day and who reigns for all eternity. It's a celebration. And actually, we celebrate, and in some ways, it eases the pain of, of the suffering we still face and the trouble we still face, but because we look not just to the present, but we come and we gather and we, we look towards the future and we have hope in, in eternal things now. So I, I wanted to set the stage this morning with this major storyline of the Bible because without a larger perspective on what God is doing and what has happened in the world, we get rocked when trouble strikes. Without that perspective, we don't know what to do. But, but for those of you that are here who've given allegiance and faith to Jesus, and trouble isn't a waste of time. Trouble's not meaningless. Trouble actually becomes a tool in God's hand. I want to invite you to take out this listening guide. Got just a few points on here. We're not going to probably get to all of this. But God uses trouble to train his children. God uses trouble to train his children. The word is train for the blank. And I know up there it's trouble. But someone pointed out, last service he said it was funny he said i put god uses trouble to trouble his children (laughs) we sometimes wonder about that though but god actually uses trouble to train his children when you're in trouble you sometimes wonder why trouble and trials are actually god's training program i want to look at a key passage from hebrews chapter 12 the writer of hebrews he's writing to Christ's followers who have come out of, most of them come out of the Jewish tradition, the Hebrews, and they have embraced Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior, the long-awaited one. They believe that Jesus is the one they've been waiting for, the one who would rescue them and deliver them and save them and reunite them. And, and because the Christians came out of a Jewish tradition, they experienced a tremendous amount of persecution and suffering from uh, their Jewish uh, brothers and family members and friends who decided to reject Jesus as the Messiah. So there was a lot of tension for the Christians and the Jews. They're butting heads religiously, and and it, it separated people. Friends, families were separated. And so the writer of Hebrews, he's writing a, a passage here to help people process that difficulty and the, the persecution they're in. And he says he writes this: endure hardship as discipline. You're going through hard things. You're You're in pain right now. Endure that. Endure means to bear up under. Endure hardship as discipline. The word discipline in the Greek is the word, it's padea. And and, and the word is used nine times from Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 4 through verse 11. Nine times the writer of Hebrews uses this word discipline, padea. And it's the word that's used to describe what parents do to train, to correct to cultivate and even educate their children in order to help them grow and mature and and develop as people. Discipline is what helps us grow in life. We we are corrected and we're instructed and we're educated. We're disciplined. So the writer of Hebrews says, you're going through a hard time, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. He's your father. He's training you. For what son is not disciplined by his father? God uses discipline for retribution. He uses it for education. He uses discipline sometimes for prevention. It's like, don't touch that. It's going to hurt you. Don't believe me? Okay, here's a little bit. This is going to hurt you. He allows us to experience pain and hurt in life at points so that it will prevent us from 
just going our own way and, and experiencing more pain uh, from ignoring him. We don't always know the purpose, though. We don't always understand, why, is he di- why am I going through discipline? He goes on to say this, verse 8. If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children, and you're not true sons. Illegitimate children, what that means is an illegitimate child means no one has taken responsibility for them. A parent has not taken responsibility and has disregarded them. Loving parents have this responsibility, and God has deep concern for our well-being. Because he's concerned about who we become and how we mature, he disciplines us. He trains us. Verse 9, moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. Now, children, children instinctively know that a parent who disciplines fairly is, is, is a parent who loves them and who cares for them. How many of you remember a time when you disobeyed your parents, you got in trouble, and you know, oh, there's already hands up. It's like, I haven't even got to the question. How many know you disobeyed? <laughs> but how many times, how many of us knew a time you disobeyed, you got in trouble, and you knew the discipline was right and fair? How many? Come on, how many? I mean, how many times, you know, sometimes there's those questionable. You're like, wait, I got... It was them. It was them. How many of that happened to you? You know, it was your brother, your sibling, and you, you took the fall. But how many of us, we, we genuinely know, I disobeyed, I deserve it, I don't want it, but it makes a lot of sense. I mean, there's no question. We instinctively know when my parent disciplines me out of, and it was right, and it was, it was fair, I did break the rule, that that's an act of love. It's an act of of care, it's an expression of their care. They, they're concerned about who we become. They actually don't want us just to, to, to go reckless in our life. That they would discipline us, that, that they would do that, they're playing their role. And look at what he says. We respect them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirit and live? I mean, over time as we mature, more and more, the benefit that comes through God's discipline makes sense. He's, he is growing us through this training. Verse 10, our fathers discipline us for a little while as they thought best. But God, he makes this contrast of fathers and their children. But God disciplines us for our good. All the time, it's for our good that we may share. Sometimes, parents, we struggle. Sometimes we discipline and we're just wanting them to stop doing it because we want to go back to what we're doing. It's more about our good than it is their good sometimes, if we're honest. But in the writer of Hebrews, he's saying, God, though, disciplines always for our good that we may share in his holiness. There's a purpose. He wants to make us holy. We're, you know what? We're being made holy. We're not perfected while we're living on planet Earth. We're becoming holy. God's making us holy. The pathway towards holiness is discipline. Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. And we all agree with that. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. You have to see it through. And it's always at the end you look back and you say, I get it. I get what God was doing through the challenges that he allowed me to face in life. Now here's, some, here's a picture. Trouble is like fire. Trouble's like fire. When you're going through trial, trouble, difficulty, it's like fire. It can either be destructive 
or it can be transformative. Without God in your life, if God's not a factor in your life, then trouble is destructive. So the, the, the song, it only makes you stronger. That's why I would say I don't think that's true because without God in our lives, it just consumes and destroys and unravels people when trouble strikes. But as God's children, as, as if you're God's child and you're in relationship with him through receiving Christ, if you're a Christ follower, you're secure in relationship with him. He holds you in his, in his hands. He saved you by his grace, not by your works. You didn't earn his salvation. You didn't earn that relationship. Jesus did the work. But as God's children, trouble for, for you then is transformative, which is why the writer of Hebrews could talk about it in that way. This is also why Peter, look at First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Peter's writing this to, to Christians in Rome, or to Christians actually kind of around the Roman Empire who are suffering greatly being persecuted. He writes this, in this you greatly rejoice. He's talking about their suffering. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come, verse 7, these have come, these trials have come, so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. God our Father, he uses the hard things in life to refine us, to purify us. But only those who choose to be trained by trouble not running away from it, not making it worse, but actually enduring through trouble, hanging in there and responding according to God's commands, even allowing God to turn up the heat and turn the flame up or turn it down as he sees fit. I mean, that's part of this life journey is we, we endure through trials. And like gold, our faith is, is valuable to God. And like gold, it, it must be heated up to burn out all the impurities that exist in our lives. So this is actually the attitude. This perspective on trouble is the attitude and understanding that our families need to adopt. And God wants our homes to be that place where we, where we talk about that. Where we, where we, when trouble strikes, where we learn to face trouble in faith together. This is where it starts. If it doesn't happen in the home, it, it happens sometimes in environments like a, a life group or one-on-one with others as we're growing. But, but it, it can start in the home. For you parents, talk about this in your home. About a year ago, my, my young daughter's faith was tested in this way. Uh, it came up at a, at a sort of unexpected time. We were having a, a big uh, business meeting or a major meeting that we have once a year here. It was sort of a stressful time because the end of our year as a, as a church staff was coming to a close, and we were all really tired, and this was sort of the final busy point in the day before this meeting, my, my daughter was sort of complaining about a, a, just a, a pain in her abdomen, and it, was, it wasn't going away, and, and she was just hunched over, and she's just walking around the house like this, and we're like, that's not normal. Honey, are you okay? And she, I think she had like something going on, so she didn't want to miss it, and she's like, yeah, I'm okay. Oh, and she was crying, and, but she kept grabbing, she was hunched over, and we're like, okay, that's, something's not right. And... So I called Kaiser, and Kaiser's advice nurse talked talked to us about the situation. And through a series of questions, they said, you need to get her in right away. 
Okay, so I got her in the car. We drove to Kaiser Riverside. My wife stayed at home because we had like our other kids plus I think three other kids from another staff member uh, who, who we were watching their kids for the weekend so they could get some time away. So my wife's at home with five kids. I take my daughter to Kaiser and she's in a lot of pain. She's crying. We get in. The ER lets us go right away into a, a room and uh, it's all happening so fast too. And when you're trying to comfort your little girl, it's, it's not easy. But I'm trying to stay strong. Doctor comes in and he... he does some things, talks to her, kind of feels around, and she's not really, she's guarding everything. And he just said, I think she probably needs an emergency, emergency appendectomy. She seems to be, the appendix needs to probably be removed. And so he said, so we're going to have to run some tests right away. And then she's going to have to drink all of this fluid. And she's a little girl. And she's like, she's going to have to drink all this fluid really quickly so we can do this test. And then if it, if it says that that's the issue, uh, then we're going to, rush her on an ambulance to Kaiser Fontana so she can have her appendix removed right now. And I'm like, wait, what, what? All this right? And I'm thinking they're going to come, they're going to give her something and, and send us home. And so I call my wife. We got a problem. So she's, she's found someone to be with all of the other kids that are there. And she joins me at the hospital a little bit later. And while we're there and the doctor is talking us through this whole thing, and he, he mentions ambulance and surgery. My daughter, she's eight at that point. She breaks down, and she starts crying. And I'm, and I'm holding her, and I'm listening, and I'm trying to ask questions. And, and our kids' own ministry here, we work with the boys and the girls. The teachers work with them to memorize some verses that they can use at different points. And they memorize verses based on topics. And so one of them was on fear. And so I, I just said, Grace, do you have a verse that, that you could use right now to help me? And she quoted this verse, and she, she said, I am the Lord your God. I strengthen you and say, do not be afraid. Now, she said this through tears. I, I will help you. And it was, it was painful for her to even just talk straight without crying, but she was saying this. And I saw as she did this, she regained sort of confidence. And she was brave, and she acted with courage. I wish I could say I was strong. I lost it at this point when she's... When she's saying this verse, you know, people learn to face trouble in, in, in family life. I mean, you have to, we have to figure out how do we ask, how do we bring this into the mix of discussion, not just try to identify it in some normal, well, how can I fix this? We, we need to involve God in, in, in our situations. Naming the chaos and the trouble is one of the most important things that we can do and teach in our families. Mislabeling trouble often leads to more disaster. Only God has the accurate categories. Here's a picture. Look at this chart. The sources of suffering. In the scripture, you'll find biblical explanation of all the sources of suffering. One of my mentors, he put this diagram together. Sometimes, I don't know if you can read it, stupidity, the top one. Sometimes we're suffering because we were stupid. We made a dumb decision, and now we're suffering because of it. How many of you have suffered because of stupidity? Go ahead and raise your hand. <laughs> there should be hands all across the room, okay? I mean, we, we all do dumb things that we thought, why, why did I do that? It was so dumb. What made me think that that plus that would equal good? And we're, we're suffering. Or this next one, sin. 
Sometimes it's our sin. We, we know this is a boundary. God says, do not cross this line, and we decide to cross that line, and then we're suffering. How many of you have suffered because of sin, rebelling against God? Less hands. I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, to, to sin just means I've done something wrong. So who, who's, who has ever suffered because you did something wrong, It blatantly did something wrong? I mean, most of us can say, yeah, I, I, I admit that. Or this third thing, the curse. The curse is tied to Genesis chapter 3. God in Genesis 1 and 2 makes this perfect place, puts Adam and Eve, sets a boundary. Do not rebel. If you don't, you'll live. Trust me. Obey me. They rebel. Genesis 3. They, they are, Adam, or Eve is deceived. Adam sins, eyes wide open. They rebelled. And be, after that, sin entered the world. And the world was cursed. Sickness disasters, all sorts of things. And sometimes the suffering we face in life is, is just tied to the curse from sin entering the world. Satan. Satan's real. Demons and angels are real. There's a cosmic war that is very real. You know, maybe 15, 20 years ago, if I say that, you're like, Pfft. now it seems like more and more people actually believe in the supernatural reality. There's all sorts of movies and shows that people actually are more open to this uh, this idea, but there is there's some of our suffering we find is we're we're in the fire and we're being uh, we're in a war. We're, we're if we're in God's family, then we're part of we're serving and trying to advance His kingdom. We find ourselves under attack. The fifth source of suffering, God. Sometimes God is bringing trials again to refine us, to grow us, to transform us, to to develop us so if you're a brother if you're a sister a cousin an aunt an uncle a husband a grandparent co-worker teammate sometimes our families is that group our roommate this is what our families are supposed to do to to teach us to see trouble to name it correctly to to read the situation and to deal with it in a godly way don't short circuit the process for yourself or for others by running, or by just mowing down all the obstacles. Don't short-circuit the process. Romans 5, verses 3 and 4 remind us about this process. Paul writes, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Talk about things they rejoice in. One of them that they rejoice in is sufferings. Christ followers can rejoice in sufferings. Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance is a character quality that grows in us. It's the ability to stand up under pressure. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Paul reminds the Christians who are suffering greatly in Rome that God was at work, and the process is leading their lives somewhere. So if you're having conflict, or if your kids are having conflict, don't just bail them out of the conflict. Instead, help them read the situation and get God's angle on it. Or when your spouse or parent or cousins or siblings or are going through trouble, draw near to them, draw close to them, and start praying for them. But one of the most important things you can do in that moment is to help them see God's angle on trouble and help them respond in faith. Here's a couple final thoughts on the backside. You can take these home and look at these verses later. Ask God to help you when you're facing trouble. Invite him in. We do this through praying. One of the things that really helped me personally when I was in the emergency room with my daughter before my wife arrived, and then my wife and my daughter, uh, my, my daughter was placed on a gurney, and, and 
taken down to, to do this test. And I was back in the room by myself, and there was a knock on the door, and it was Cody, our, our, uh, one of the pastors on our staff here. He knocked on the door, and he came in. And he had, I had sent out a, a text message to some friends to just pray for us, and we didn't know what was going on, so I filled him in. And then I just I broke down, and he, and he just put his hand on my shoulder, and he prayed for me. He just prayed. Ask God to help you when you're in, when you're in trouble. Second, stay humble. When you're in trouble, the temptation is to get arrogant, to get proud, to get self-reliant. Trouble is actually the fastest way to correct our pride. And that's why God uses it, I think. It's corrective. So it's a great lesson for our kids to see us humbly responding to difficulty. Third, adopt God's goal, goals for trials. You can check this out later. Look at James 1, 2 through 4. Read about God's goal. What is God trying to do? It sort of reflects Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. God's goal is not to make you healthy, wealthy, famous, or safe. Although, those are good things. And God often gives the good, he, all the good things that come from God. And all, but his goal, ultimately, is the moral transformation of his people. And nothing in this life can stop that project. Not sickness, not death, not poverty or any other kind of trouble god can use all trouble to transform us and then finally learn obey and then teach god's word to your family god's word the bible one of the most important legacies you can pass on to your children is a love a respect a confidence a reliance on the word of god and biblical instruction it's something that it, if it's going to really root, it needs to be woven into family life at the heart of everything we do. And so we need to teach God's ways and thoughts to our families when we wake up, when we're driving around, when we're experiencing trouble, when we're going through, when we're up high in joy. I mean, when we're going to work, when we put them to bed at night, we need to weave biblical instruction into family life. You know, we all face trouble in life. This world and this life is not, is not the end. It's the beginning. We look forward as Christ followers to the day when Jesus will return and make all things that are broken new, when he'll restore and mend all things. And, and when you have hope that in eternal life, then you can endure here and now through any trial, and you can face even death itself. We've seen it. We've seen it. We've seen people face death because they have hope for the next life. And so how do you make sense of all of it, the wars, the suffering, God God knows when we live in a fallen world, cursed by our rebellion and sin, and Satan stains everything. But but the encouragement is, do not despair. There is hope. Jesus has set us free. He's filled us with hope and power, and, and he will use trouble to transform us. I want to invite our worship team. The day is coming when all that is broken will be mended. And until then, we, we look forward in hope towards that day, and we endure together. As families, as a, as a church family, we endure together. We support one another and are walking through the difficulties. If you're, if you're here and you've never received Christ, and the things I'm talking about that Christ followers would do, you'd say, you know what, that sounds familiar but still distant. It doesn't feel like I, I – that's not personal yet for me. And and you're here, then I would just say, why not settle that issue and respond to Christ even today? We have uh, leaders at our 
welcome table in the breezeway as you're leaving. We'd love to visit with you. you just say, could you tell me more about becoming a Christian? Or, or if you'd like to just receive something about that, on the back of that connection card, there's a, there's a box you can uh, check. It says, I'd like to learn more about beginning a relationship with Christ. And we'll just send you some information, allow you to process this and dialogue with us at your own pace. And so here's some next steps to consider taking. Um, you can personalize this message this morning. And, and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for being with us. Lord, thank you for the promise that you will never leave us. You will not forsake us. God, thank you for being close and near even to the brokenhearted, Lord. To those that are in pain and in difficulty, Lord, you are near. You're present. God, for those that are here that don't know you personally, Lord, I pray that you would break through all the barriers, all the obstacles that are blocking that. For those that do know you, Lord, thank you for the reminder from your word that trouble and trials are intended to transform us. Well, even when we can't identify or understand the particular challenge we're in or the source of the challenge, Lord, we can trust you that, and we can put our hope in you, Lord. Help us to endure through the fires that we're in right now. We ask for your help and your strength. Help us to even support uh, those in our lives, Lord, walking through challenges. We pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.